Good afternoon, Christian Hyatt. Hello, Shane Peden. We are on part five of our webcast series where we're going to talk about how to attract, develop, and keep cybersecurity talent. So I'm excited. This is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, obviously, uh, having running Risk 360 and recruiting a lot of people. But as we kick it off, thought maybe we could do just quick intros. So uh, my name is Christian Hyatt. I'm a managing director at Risk 360, um, help lead our cyber risk practice. Shane, mind a quick intro? Yeah, I'm the director of the uh, cyber risk and CISO advisory practice. Cool. Um, so for folks that aren't familiar with Risk 360, just wanted to kind of add some color into why I think that maybe uh, we're even qualified to have this conversation at all. Um, and everything we're gonna talk about here as far as uh, recruiting and keeping talent and developing talent, something that we've been doing here at Risk360 for at least four years. Um, we tend to recruit between five and 10 individuals per year, um, have pretty low turnover, especially as compared to the industry average. Um, last year, we won uh, Atlanta's best places to work. And then also um, we kind of did a survey and we're kind of, we're the top 1% uh, in way of employee satisfaction and employee engagement. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. So. Hopefully some of the lessons that we've learned along the way in terms of standing up a security practice and recruiting people, developing them and keeping them uh, will be useful to the folks out there. Um, Shane, you wanna talk about why this matters, how this is impacting the industry? I think a lot of it is, uh, a lot of it is quality of life for me. I'll talk personally, I guess. Yep. Having good dependable teammates, feeling like you're part of a, a mission, something bigger than yourself doing work that's fulfilling but then beyond that there's a, a bottom line reason that this matters as well um do you know any of the statistics off the top of your head about what it costs employee yeah, turnover costs yeah, pre yeah preparing for this there's actually really good data on on what yeah. turnover does in the industry um gallup has a, a great um kind of research paper out there where they uh looked at i think eighty-two thousand organizations um, we'll link to that later, definitely worth reading, but they say um, employee turnover costs something like 216% of an individual salary. So that, that translates into direct costs. Um, they also talk about productivity loss, um, low morale. There's something called workplace toxicity that happens when you have extreme turnover. Um, the other thing to consider is just business continuity risk. Like how many folks out there in a, in a security program um, has to maintain a compliance certification or has to has stood up stood up complex processes like vulnerability management programs and it requires some tribal knowledge to really run that and if you're having individuals turn over every 24 months you have very little continuity in that program and even the best security person is going to take them a year you know to get up to speed and see the program through so it's hard to get traction when you have a turn a lot of turnover like this and I know it's an industry problem um i think it I think uh, in the cybersecurity realm, executives are turn over, turning over like every 18 months. The average employees last about 24 months, and that's far exceeds um, the averages for for you know other industries in the class. Yeah. So um, we kind of break this up into two sections. We talk about how to find and attract talent, so recruit them, and then we also talk about how to keep and develop them, because ultimately you want to get the right people in the door. And then you want to recruit them, interview them, make sure they're a good fit. And then once you get them, because that's very expensive, you want to keep them for as long as you can and create a, a great and enga engaging place where people want to stay. Um, so Shane, you're, you're great at, I think, recruiting. You're, you're one, of the, one of the executives at our, our firm that spends a lot of time finding great people and vetting them. Um, I kind of break it up into three places that 
we use to find people. We get referrals, we recruit off campus, and then we have just inbound folks who want to work for us 360 because of maybe the marketing story we did. You want to talk about some of the stuff you do that maybe others can apply along the way? The most success we've had to date is really community involvement, especially within the uh, the universities. Like I'm a two-time Kennesaw State University alum, and I spend a lot of time in their information security program. Their program recently got ranked number five in the nation, so it's a, it's a wealth of budding talent. But the way I get involved isn't showing up and just buying pizza. It's in hanging out. It's contributing. So that may be taking the time to develop IT security boot camps for less technical students. Like we've gone in there before and in our own time in the evening, Mm -hmm. go and deliver a whole free like series over a course of the entire summer where I just teach guys and gals in these programs, the IT fundamentals, you know, things that, things that you actually need to know before you try and do security. Mm -hmm. Or you notice here, I have a friend that, um, is part of the uh, open source intelligence community professionally. He's also a professor at Georgetown. So I'll participate with him in his classes. And you see in the bottom right corner, that's Ryan Baisden. He's head of our pen test practice. This is a, a screenshot from a recent event where we got together and we just talked about how OSINT works in the world of cybersecurity yeah, and the implications of it. Yeah, Georgetown, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, all this yeah. does is just create a pipeline of people that are interested and then they come and find you. So a lot of it is just purely giving back without really having a motive, you know, beyond yeah. just wanting to create connections and relationships. Yeah, I think if you're part of a security team or you're a security executive, one of the philosophical points that we've kind of decided was important to us is to give before you get. So we try to out train the competition. We try to give back to organizations. We try to put thought leadership out there. And sometimes the right thing to do is also the right thing to do for the business. So we want that information out in the community, but in turn attracts great people off campus that are interested in that. So you mentioned we're we're out of Atlanta. So KSU is a a school here. We also recruit out of Georgia Tech. Uh, we have a great pipeline out of West Point and the Army because we have some folks out of that program. Uh, Georgetown, we have an MBA from there. Um, so just giving back to those programs, establishing a footprint uh, there, and then ultimately the fruits of that labor comes back where you're able to recruit out of those programs. So if you're you're an organization and you're you're looking to establish a foothold somewhere, you know, give back because these students are really interested in doing that. So campus is where we get a lot of our junior hires. And then it comes to where do we find like experienced hires or um, you know other non-traditional types of talent. And so whenever we hire someone, I, I kind of always ask one question when it comes to recruiting. I say, who's the number one person that you would want to work with no matter where you went? Because some people just have that special sauce. They're awesome. You know, they might not have specific security experience, but maybe you can train them and get them up to speed. And almost everyone has one or two people in their network that they would just want to work with anywhere they went. And then we go out and recruit those people often. We'll try to get uh, coffee. And sometimes the recruiting process is a year or 18 months where it's just establishing a relationship and a pipeline of talent uh, to be able to recruit them. And with the kind of turnover we have and the growth that many security organizations have, you know, that's a great way to do it. Um, and, and also it helps shortcut the cultural fit question because they're pre-vetted by candidates. Um, the other thing I just wanted to point out is just marketing. This has taken a long time. So we're kind of five, four or five years into doing this um, and, and being out there and putting our names out there. And we're kind of just now getting to the point where 
people off the street will submit through our website and say, hey, I want to work with you guys. I, the blog posts that you posted or the webinar that you guys did resonated with me. If you're hiring, I'd love to be a part of the team. Um, and like I said, we recruit five to 10 people per year, typically. That's probably high for a, for a corporate. I don't think most corporate organizations are probably recruiting that many security people. Um, some security organizations probably are, but um, th those methodologies really help us keep a really flush uh, pool of talent and potential individuals that could be part of the team. And when they're not great fits for the team or when we don't have a place for them, you know, that's great for our clients because we're able to refer them out and say, hey, I know a great security person, someone with a lot of potential um, that you can have. So those are some of the ways we do it. But I think the bottom line is just giving back. When you give a lot, you get a lot. And um, we're lucky to have a team that wants to do that. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of comes down, you, you find these great people, um, they want to work for you and then you got to interview them. So you had to have a, a thorough vetting process. So we came up with a, an interview process that again, we've been following for the last four years. And um, we tried to avoid interviews being too subjective. Like I just like the person. So they're a good fit or they're technical. So they're a good fit. So uh, there's a few books that has kind of informed our thinking on this. There's a book called uh, Scaling Up by a guy named Vern Harness. There's another one called Traction uh, by a guy named Gina Wickman. And there's another book called Top Grading. They all have sections in them about recruiting and hiring and vetting talent. So 100% of the candidates that we have ever brought in follow this interview methodology. And we'll talk a little bit about it. Shane, you maybe want to give us just the, the quick overview of our interview process? Yeah, everything always starts very informally, as as it says here at Coffee. Um, I think one of our great success stories is uh, Glenn Chamberlain. So I was hanging out on the KSU security team or security club, whatever, the program Slack channel. And I just saw Glenn asking really smart questions. Like he said, what certification should I get? How do I break into this market? You know, and so I just started talking to him. And um, he didn't realize it, but he just landed his first interview because I said, hey, man, let's grab coffee, you know, Sunday morning over at Cool Beans in Marietta. And um, that was it. There was no formal HR process. There's no recruiter. He just come in. Maybe that doesn't scale as you grow up, but maybe for a security org, it does scale because usually, like you said, you're not hiring like tons of people. So we go and we meet, we, we meet Glenn for coffee. It went great you know, fantastic yep. meeting, but very informal. We never let on that this was an interview. And then we said, hey, do you wanna, you wanna try out for the team? Now it gets serious. And yep. we hit him with a case study. The case study is really, it's just a one pager, quick summary. It's a, it's a typical security thought exercise. It, I think a non-technical person never touched security could potentially complete it. Mm -hmm. And you read it, you do some research and you just do an executive memo. It, I wouldn't say there's not wrong or right answers. There's definitely right answers, but it's a, it's a matter of, you know, what is your thought process look like? What is your deliverable look like? What's your style? What's your creativity? Yeah. It's also a great vetting yeah. mechanism because yeah. it, people have to be willing to put in the time. It gets, gives us an opportunity to see a writing sample. It's it a gives barrier us an opportunity, entry, yeah. Barrier entry. It yeah. helps us understand their thought process, what they think a deliverable looks like. Um, that all that stuff. So you learn yeah. so much from doing a case study. And that that's specific to our consulting practice. For pen testers, for example, we put them up against a challenge box. 
and actually show how far that they can get in the challenge and we gauge their technical competency. Yeah. Um, and then once they show their interest, they show a, a baseline of competence. We bring them in the office and we usually break it up in a couple 45 minute interviews with a, a cross section of teammates. But again, it's, it's probably surprisingly informal. It really is trying to get somebody to let the guard down, see what they're like and see if they're a cultural fit. You know, I mean, we may hit people with technical questions, but it's not a hyper-technical interview typically. It's more, can I put you in front of a client and are you going to be able to communicate and interact with them? And are, are you teachable and coachable? Mm -hmm. um, I think you have the GWC core values. I'll let you yeah. talk through that because yeah. you're better at that than I am. This is a little bit of our yeah. secrets also. We try to standardize the interview process, measuring like is a candidate fit. So uh, scaling up and traction talk about this, but we measure them against, do they, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? That's GWC. And then how do they stack up against our core values? They get a numerical value for each, the team votes on it. And if they get a certain score, they pass. Um, we say all that to say, it's not necessarily important how we interview, but this is a great example. Maybe you can steal some tips for how you might want to standardize your interview process. And the bottom line is you want to have a standard interview process to ensure a minimum level of quality. And you're probably going to hone that in over time. Everybody in our organization is familiar with this interview process and it's, it's executed consistently. And it's helped us make some tough decisions on candidates that we were on the fence about in the past. Yeah. Um, so if you're an organization thinking about adopting an interview process, once you identify that top talent, have an interview process. I recommend getting it in writing, socializing with the team so everyone understands those expectations. We even come up with interview questions. So we have a guide on like things we want to make sure we touch to ask on during the interview. But it helps us make sure that the people coming in the door are a great fit and it's worth their time and worth our time. Um, so that's kind of it. That's how we get talent. We don't use recruiters. I know some organizations have to. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't really put stuff out there on job boards, anything like that. Um, it's very much so uh, our network, uh, campus recruiting, getting referrals from individuals and trying to find great people. I know there's organizations that have to recruit 100 people a year and, and that might not work for them. But for organizations that are recruiting, you know, 10 people a year or something, I think this is a way to do it. Um, and it's worked well for us. And there's probably some things you can tweak for yourself to kind of make that more scalable if you need to. Yeah, I don't see why you can't integrate this into uh, working with a recruiter either. It's a great yeah, way to filter out a large pool and get to a much more, you know, distilled population of candidates that you yeah, may sure. want to actually bring in office. Yeah, absolutely. So then now we're kind of transitioning to you got you, you've recruited a great team. Now, how do you keep a great team? Because in our industry, uh, keeping talent, keeping high mor uh, morale and, and people happy and passionate about what they, they do is extremely challenging because often security is one of those positions where it's a bit thankless like you, you don't get noticed until something goes wrong or it's hard to get resources so how do you keep everyone motivated um and and i want to talk about and this applies beyond security but uh, all the studies point to one thing and that's employee engagement and what is employee engagement well there's a study I mentioned by Gallup that looked at about 82,000 teams across industries. I think there was about 2 million people in the study that they looked at. And um, there's kind of a paradigm shift in the way that people are beginning to think about work. And I think we kind of did a lot of this intuitively over time and it became more conscious. But the bottom line is people want purpose. They want to be developed. They want coaching. Uh, they want ongoing conversations, ongoing development. 
they want people to focus on their strengths, not beat them up and focus on their weaknesses. And they want to integrate it with part of their life. Um, again, I'm going to keep referring back to that Gallup study. I think it's well worth your time to read if you're out there. It's called Building a High Development Culture Through Your Employee Engagement Strategy. Um, it's certainly informed the way that I think about it. I also wrote a blog post and white paper on it that you can look up if you want to. I think it's well worth your time. Um, so the question is, how do we tactically implement employee engagement? So I wanted to share some of the things that we do that has been successful that I think others can mimic fairly easily. This made a big impact on our team. Um, and the first thing is like purpose. That, to me, that seems a bit nebulous or what is purpose uh, and how do you define that? Kind of seems mushy. Uh, but for us, we've kind of said that, hey, the folks that join our team want a worthy mission. They want something challenging. They want to be part of a tight knit tribe or group. So we try to foster those things in, in many ways. And if you want to keep top performers, you have to do that. We do it with quarterly newsletters. We do it with defining a mission statement. So we talked in a previous podcast, Shane, hey, does your security organization have a mission statement? Do you have defined core values? Not at the organization level, but even at the security level. Does your team, do, do those values and mission statements resonate with your team? Do you do things that kind of make you feel part of a tight-knit group or a tribe? And, and we'll talk about some of that too here. Um, and Shane, I want to talk about how we, we build hype have team pride, we do shared adversity, and, and I think you contribute a bunch because you're our t-shirt guy <laughs> and swag guy, you have been for a while. So can you talk about like some of the stuff that you do to kind of build some of this? Well, I, so it's beyond creating very meaningful personal relationships with people. Yep, and we'll get through, to that. Co coaching is the yeah. last thing we'll talk about. Yeah. Okay, good, I won't touch on that then. I like to create internal marketing. Um, I try to create t-shirts, number one, because uh, I have a company budget to do something artistic. I wouldn't want to pay to do out of my own pocket. It's selfish, yeah. but I love, I used to be a graphic designer and do web design. Christian and I had a business before this one where we focused on that. So I brought those talents to Risk360 and we try to create internal marketing. It literally is internal marketing. And we want to create t-shirts that teammates want to wear because um, we want you to be happy to have the logo on you. We want you to think it's cool, but we also want you to go out in the world thinking our brand is cool and our culture is cool and i think it actually works we've had multiple stories i've i've had it happen to me uh in fact a few weeks ago i was at a uh a mall and uh a couple walked up to me and said hey do you know asher andre and i said well yeah i hired him and they goes yeah we noticed you got risk 360 on your shirt he loves you guys i was like mission accomplished you know like yeah. I, i'm wearing this cool shirt it was the phalanx one right in the middle there actually um top center so but also like the mugs the backpacks all of it but bottom line it's got to be super high quality it's got to be flashy it's got to be cool things that you want to wear you know and then you got our sticker wall here we didn't design all these stickers, but we got this game where when you go somewhere awesome, bring something back to put on the wall, you know, and Christian and I went over to the top and brought a skateboard back once, but um, usually guys find really neat stickers, but it yeah. creates kind of a mission. Like people will talk about it. They'll be in Slack going, Hey, I got this and that sticker. What am I going to do with it? We're moving offices in a few weeks or a month, I'm sorry, I'm cutting that wall out. I'm going to cut it and replace the drywall. <laughs> I'm taking it with yeah. us. And, you know? and some of this stuff, I mean, we all know organizations have great swag and terrible culture. So it's not about in of itself having a cool t-shirt. It's the, the fact that 
we try to take time to provide meaningful things back to the team. And it's a, it's a physical piece that represents like how we feel about our culture. The sticker wall is like us sharing stories with each other and talking about the trials and tribulations of traveling for work or serving clients at the cool breweries and coffee shops that we've been to. Um, The other thing is shared adversity. So uh, we also have a blog on this that's near and dear to our heart. But one of the things that we realized is a way to bring a team close together is going through hard stuff together. So if you've ever done a stint in consulting, you know, you probably can recall somewhat fondly, at least that project team that you did a really hard project with. If you've ever done a huge implementation with your, your team, you can probably recall that. Um, if you've, uh, we have some military folks on our team and, you know, they're part of that tight knit team that can remember back being deployed with someone. Yeah. And so some, we try to create those opportunities for shared adversity. So one thing we do is we run a hundred mile relay race uh, once a year. We didn't get to that this year, um, but we, we do that and we drive in an RV with a bunch of folks. It's a hundred mile run. We do it in legs and it's terrible and it's painful, but it's also awesome. And everyone remembers that we learn a lot about each other. We hype each other up because guys who aren't runners don't give up. Um, so it's just a great time. So it's all these little things that we're doing to try, try to build a tribe and, and give each other opportunities outside of the day-to-day work to know that that person has your back through shared trust they're competent, they meet commitments, that builds confidence as a team. It's all about having a shared goal and, um, and accomplishing that goal and, and being part of something bigger than yourself. And that those are some of the ways that we try to bring purpose and a mission to the fore. And it's been really effective and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And so many of our co- colleagues in, in corporate America and security teams, I think no one thinks to do that. It's just not a natural thing to, to build a sub team culture that is that entrenched. But if you can do that, I think you'll reduce retention and you have a really happy team that feels like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Um, yeah. And that's a big important thing. I was going to mention too, I mean, we mentioned a lot of stuff that maybe larger teams can't do. You know, creating t-shirts may not be viable. Doing yeah. 100 mile relay races may not be viable. But we also create shared goals internally. Like I'm working on a couple guys right now to really mature the high trust practice, get traction to market and go for it. We really take a lot of pride in that. You know, like we're really trying to figure out the most efficient, most pleasurable way to implement this very, very robust, burdensome compliance framework, you know, and because we want to create optimal client experiences. We want to make getting high trust a little bit less painful for you. And so to us, it's, it's just a game. It's like, we're going to conquer that mountain and it'll show in our sales numbers and it'll show in mm-hmm. all the cool stuff that we build out to support the practice and, and driving phalanx development, you know, software development in yep. our platform. Uh, I think all our pen test practice is really yeah. good about that too. Like Ryan Bazin, yeah. he, he stood up uh, a challenge where us non-technical folks can get in there and try to do some, uh, some pen yeah. test activities and, and that hypes the team up and gets them involved and, and, creates empathy because we see what they're going through. So there's, there's a lot of little things you can do and it doesn't have to be what we do. Just, you know, come up with your own ideas that, that meet the yeah. intent of your culture. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is more practical or, or more something repeatable that every firm should do, I think is table stakes. And another thing that comes out of keeping your people is career clarity. Um, this is what we provide our team as far as a career roadmap. Um, and obviously, this is going to be highly variable, to, dependent upon industry. Uh, if you're corporate, if you have various position descriptions, we even have a slightly different career path for non-consultants or someone in a specific uh, consulting arena. 
but we do have that mapped out and the attributes of each level. So someone can look back on that and level set with themselves. You know, what, what's ahead of me? What do I have to look forward to? Am I gonna get continued growth? Um, because I have seen security organizations where um, no one's taking the time to think that out for them. So, so it's ambiguous. You can't paint a, a future for yourself. And, and, and if you have no future somewhere, or you're, you feel like you're stuck, you're gonna find that opportunity outside the organization. So this is table stakes to me. If you're gonna build a security program internally, give people a sense for where they're going and what the opportunities are for them. Um, so anything you wanna to add to that, Shane? How about the craftsmanship program? Yeah, please, like absolutely. That, that's very special. Uh, we have, uh, if you saw the first slide in the slide deck, Christian and I are sitting there glowing, hugging each other with our leather aprons on. Yeah. Um, we, We've set this very high standard for what we call security craftsmanship. There's a very clear path to get there. You go through an apprenticeship, a journeyman program, well-defined program with challenges, and you level up along the way. And then once you get there, you do this capstone project, and at the end of it, you become the security craftsman. And then we get you paired up with this uh, custom leather-making shop up in, where are they, Ohio? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, she gets on a video call with you, measures you up, tells you how you want your apron designed, and then you get this awesome leather apron. And it's just kind of a, it's a, it's a show of success. It's a, it's something you worked for for years. Um, Christian and I even created a program we personally had to work towards. We didn't just invent it and give ourselves aprons because we're cool. Like we had to go do our own, eat our own dog food, if you would, you know. And uh, so it's like it's not easy, and not many people get it. We have four craftsmen in the business. Yep. in five years that we've existed so i think that's really important too it's kind of this yeah it's, it's just long-term goal yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all about coaching and development which we're about to get into but that's yeah. built into our career plan those opportunities yeah. for coaching and development so I, I saved this for last because if you do nothing else every study out there shows that coaching is the most important thing that drives employee retention and engagement and um there's been a shift from having a boss or having a manager to having a coach and people need to think of themselves as coaches, servant leaders, and that you're giving what you have as a manager and imparting that wisdom and development opportunities into those individuals that you coach. So at risk 360, we have like a formal coaching process and the formal coaching methodology. I recommend that everyone gets this down on paper, but every employee at risk 360 has a coach that coach meets at least quarterly, often more than that. And they come up with career development plans and, and quarterly goals. And um, we have some other processes in place where you have an opportunity to kind of define your leadership philosophy and things like that. But the bottom line is it's a highly engaging process between the coach and the person being mentored. Um, so they develop a very personal relationship around development. And I think you know, that's probably one of the most important things that we do. And it's also one of the uh, most fulfilling things that I'm able to do as a manager on the team. Shane, you want to talk a little bit more about the coaching program and kind of some things you put into it? Yeah, so Christian White on our team come up with this and I was admittedly skeptical of it at first, but he, I think he based that on a lot of army philosophy for, mm -hmm. for development of uh, people in the army. And the, it has a lot more touch points than you would think. A lot of organizations at best may do quarterly and at worst just do annual check-ins and maybe that check-in is with HR, but we actually assign people a coach and you build a personal relationship with them. And uh, we, 
the first year you're meeting monthly almost, you know, on a, almost a monthly or bi-monthly cadence. And then after the first year, it levels off and it's less frequent. And in that first year, you know, you go everything from how do you set goals? What do smart goals look like? What's your career de development and progression plan look like? But then you level into some really personal stuff that um, we give you the option to share or not share, but we encourage you to develop it. We have you develop what's called a biography sketch that's based on a concept this uh, colonel in the army called named uh, Rob Campbell developed. He has a book out there on it. And that biography sketch is really just like a, a one or two page max, who am I? And when you limit your entire life and what you wanna communicate to two pages max, it really makes you hone in on well, what do I care to communicate? What is really important to me? The other one is you develop a crucible experience, you know, and you say, well, what, what is something I went through in my life that was really difficult, personal or professional? And how did I overcome it? How did I get through it? And what did I learn on the other side of it? And then we encourage people to really start developing their own leadership style, you know, and putting it on paper, just like everything else we do. So that again, you may you may have to go read a book, and we usually read books together. I've I read too many books because I've five coaches and we're all reading books. So, you know, you may read a book on leadership or business strategy or or whatever you want, and then that pours into these deliverables. And then I'm always very transparent. I'm sharing mine, and I just try to create a real relationship with them. And then over time, it, it becomes a situation where this person you're coaching learns to be a great manager because they learn, oh yeah, when I go to set goals, I shouldn't be saying, oh, well, I'm gonna, you know, get another cert or I'm gonna complete this class or do this. It's more like, oh, well, my goal is to make somebody below me better. Just like, yep. hopefully that's what I'm doing for them. You know, we're trying to close the skill gap because A, we wanna have really good relationships with our teammates um, at a professional level. And sometimes it goes, into personal level if we can ever get there, but definitely at the professional level. And then we also wanna close skill gaps. So one of the things that happens is someone's a great individual contributor and they rise through the ranks because they're individually awesome. Then eventually they're promoted to say a manager position where they're no longer in charge of their success, but in charge of the success of others. So you could be a great consultant or a great individual contributor, terrible manager. So we try to close that skills gap by helping people think through what it takes to be a great manager in terms of training, developing others, leading others, that kind of thing. And that's not for everybody, um, but it works really well for us. And again, these are just ideas for everyone. This coaching methodology probably isn't going to work for most organizations, but the key is that as an executive or manager in your security team, you have a coaching program. And again, I recommend writing it out. And if you're a security executive, that's, that's going to be an artifact that you're probably going to take with you to every organization that you go to. And it's going to be part of your personal leadership style and something that you bring to the table. And to me, that's a hallmark of a great executive, regardless of industry, but especially cybersecurity executives, because the tendency is to be putting out fires and focusing on security frameworks and security problems. But if you can be a great leader of people, if you can build a mission, if you can build a culture, you can hire the right people, you can empower those people and develop them, you're gonna have something very special and unique in the security space and it'll be a secret sauce. Um, so that's that's it, that, that is our pretty much how we hire, keep and retain people. Uh, we also put together 
um, an artifact for folks. So if you're kind of looking for a checklist, like something just to go off of uh, mentally, we put this together. You can reach out to us. We'll send you a copy of this. It's just, you know, 10 or 15 things to go through. If you're trying to create artifacts for yourself or trying to create marketing packages and do a self-check on where is my program compared to where it could be and, and get a few ideas, uh, grab a screenshot of this or send us an email and we will uh, send it over to you so you have that checklist. But um, Shane, anything you want to add? No, man. Great presentation. I enjoyed it. Thanks for doing the webinar with me. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys want to hear more stuff like this, uh, Shane and I do a podcast every Tuesday morning. It's on YouTube. We stream it on Twitch. Um, you can also listen to it on any podcast app that you want, where we talk about topics of leadership, cybersecurity, compliance, and just about everything in between. Um, so if you like this, check that out and looking forward to it. Thanks, Shane. Yep. Catch you later. See ya.